Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we finish up our time here in the land of revelations, a uh, setting brought to us by our listener, Iris. Again, thank you so much for the submission. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click on the link, follow the instructions, and we'll build your world live on air. If you want to follow us on social media, we are over on Twitter at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord and talk about world building and you know just chat with us, Link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous or you just want access to those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, you can give us money over on Patreon and you can find a link for that, you guessed it, in the description of the episode. Now, the last time we left off, we had just added a twist to our sci-fi, sci-fantasy world. And the twist that we rolled was now add in some robots. So, my dear friends, Courtney and Daniel, who wants to start us off with their reconciliation with the twist? I'm going to guess that Daniel wants to start us off today. So why don't you tell us where you want to go here, sir? My thoughts for that robots would likely be some means of surviving um, or some means of a subset of the population surviving through the gates passing um, through whatever cataclysmic event happens when um, when we move from one system to the other. And so I was thinking robots might have been some sort of solution that uh, we put into place. I would love to take that to a um, kind of religious place. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing maybe these robots have some kind of... Um, I don't want to say the divine significance, but kind of in the way that like a golem is a machine sort of, but it has mm-hmm. its own interpretation and in religious sex, like something like that as a way of preserving um, knowledge of, of what came before into the next mm-hmm. realm. Well, I'm so glad that you gave me a point to jump in on Daniel, because I feel like I can satisfy your need for religiosity here with these robots. I actually went with something rather simple with my reconciliation, which is there are only seven of them. They are immensely powerful and they are named after the throne type of angel, which is when you think of an angel, you typically think of like seraphim, a cherubim mostly. These angels are more the ones that are wings of wheels and eyes that are typically the chariots uh, of, of deities and whatnot. So in this regard, I, I feel like we can have something that works out pretty well. We can add, we we can have them be significant just because you know people have made them so. Um, it's uh, that- funny that you bring up that as their appearance because uh, <laughs> my reconciliation was that the alien race that had set up those apocryphal suns is extinct in terms of their physical form but they live on in the form of immortal robotic entities that look like biblical angels and they've probably been meddling in human affairs for millennia it's it's almost like we know each other so Mm. well we're just able Mm. to create a singular (laughs) like narrative through line immediately that's perfect okay team does does this satisfy everything i mean like add in some robots there are seven of them they look like biblical angels they're known as thrones they are Essentially, yeah. the the way that people are able to trans or transition from one gate to the next that works for everyone. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it works. Excellent. Do we want to do we want to talk about them a little bit more? Or did we just nail it so quickly and easily that we don't need to? So they are they are, um, and in what way are they a way for people to transition? Great question. I think that's a great place to start. Hmm. Oh, because last time we had um, talked about how the green ringed moon mm-hmm. was related to the the gate transition. It was like the sign that it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is that where they're stored? Yeah, it was. Yeah, maybe they like live there. Um, that's where they kind of hang out, whether or not. It's like uh, a hidden satellite of the Earth that contains these permanent yeah. archives, essentially, mm-hmm. of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That are so the it's angels. like it's always technically there, but we can only see it and interact yeah. with it when it appears to mm. us. Maybe what is this like? They this moon secretly orbits the Earth, and before the coming of a you know an apocalypse, they descend to the Earth to receive the history of what came before to preserve mm. you know like preserve what is now before what is to come oh interesting that's it's cool. almost like they scan the earth and be like okay mm. this is now yeah. okay yeah mm-hmm. that's interesting um i i'm also just from a from kind of like a, a i'm looking at this from a oh god what the fuck is wrong with me today I'm looking at this like, okay, I, I just see this green moon and there's an aperture that just opens up and it to, to us because of the way that we're looking at it, I can imagine it kind of looks like an eye. And then from this yeah. aperture mm-hmm. opening up, that's mm-hmm. where these seven robots kind of come out and, you know, scan and prepare. It, it's not, that's I so imagine cool. it's not just more than a scan. It's like they're essentially coating the earth in like some kind of weird mm-hmm. bubble you know, or like some kind of weird goo even in some cases. That that also ties in with like how we were talking last time about how the transitions between these star systems is would like really fuck with Earth in mm-hmm. a, a regular setting. So like it must have some sort of magical protection. So maybe that's what they're doing. They're like absorb both absorbing the knowledge and like shielding it temporarily at least. Mm-hmm. It would be neat if they each have their a specific goal. Like so like mm-hmm. perhaps one is the preserver and it preserves some specific aspect of the earth and one is I don't know the, uh, the you know give them other different different like different names mm-hmm. that are neat that give they have yeah. a specific like, task that they that they have to do about the earth and about preservation of or not necessarily preservation like they have something to do with the transition, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe not all of these heralds are good, you know, or these thrones are good in the sense of like, from our perspective, like pleasant <laughs> to encounter. Yeah, Th- their their goal is to just essentially prepare for the next stage yeah. in the journey, mm-hmm. w- whether that be good or bad or indifferent. It's just like they have a job to them. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you said, Courtney, that you want them to have some sort of alien intelligence attached to them, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like they are mm-hmm. the aliens that had originally, or are the the remnants of the aliens that had mm-hmm. originally set all of this up hundreds of thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. And because there's only seven of them, does that mean that they're like colonies within these individual seven or are they seven individual personalities? I, I, mm. I think I'm cool with either, but you know, there's there's pros and cons to each. What would you, what do you guys think? Huh. I like the idea of them not being a singular thing. Like maybe they're individuated intelligence, like a collective of intelligence. But mm-hmm. I think like as perceived by us, they should seem like a singular thing. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. if it's the preserver, like it has a particular form and it has a particular temperament. But whether it actually is an alien hive mind inside of itself, who knows? I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That, that's fun. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got these seven hive minded robot harbingers essentially. So we've got Mm -hmm. the four horsemen and then three more who are just like kind of there (laughs) hanging out, chilling. Or it Um, could be, um, I mean, in revelation, aren't there like seven angels that blow trumpets and they cause things to happen? I think it's seven. I mean, if it's seven and they blow trumpets as like a warning or like some kind of preparation, then yeah, we've, I mean, Revelation's basically just done the work for us, you know? The seven trumpets are sounded by seven Mm -hmm. angels. The events that follow are described in detail in Revelation chapter eight and 11. There we go. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. I'm trying to not have them have comically, you know, like oversized trumpets and like they, as they blow, they coat the earth in some kind of like a force field or something like that. <laughs> Cause that's like, to me, that seems very Terry Gilliam. I don't know. It's oh, like, I mean, hmm? oh, sorry. I was, it, I just okay. continue that sentence. According to the, that passage, the angels sound the shepherds after the breaking of the seventh seal, these seals secure mm-hmm. the apocalyptic document held in the right hand of him, God who sits on the throne. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds. I think. Yeah, like I said, uh, Revelation doing a lot of work for us. 
it's it's great with how how much you can interpret it. They're, they're apparently not trumpets either. They're it's a straight narrow bronze tube with a mouthpiece of bone and a bell. Oh mm-hmm. wow, that's that yeah. Sometimes called woe trumpets. Whoa well, trumpets. boy, wow, that that's kind of dope actually. It is. Yeah. Okay. I think too like it wouldn't necessarily have to be like a physical instrument that they're using. It could just be like when they appear, they have this like really deep mm. ominous sound that can be mm. interpreted as that type of noise and is it okay oh okay 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 can can we can we can can i maybe suggest that each of these seven robots are collectively different alien civilizations like not just all from the same civilization but the remnants of seven entirely different civilizations that have risen and fallen and they like came together at some point in the past to put all this together yeah, and or maybe it's just a continuation and they're watching humanity as like the eighth kind of civilization mm. that is in this. It, they're just like ushering them on to be the eighth robot, essentially. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. what that's that can be interpreted that way anyway. That's yeah, funny. like I'm, I'm reluctant to make that canonical and more so to make that a interpretation of what's happening. Same. Only because, yeah, yeah I'd rather not know what their actual intention is. Oh, I I completely agree yeah. with you. I, I I'm just saying that like that to think of it that way is kind of a cool way to 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 look mm-hmm. at it. You know, like if we're seeing if they if one view of this is that they are ushering humankind into some final transformation, that would be an interesting like making sense of it, right? From mm-hmm. those trying to interpret it, mm-hmm. but like they should, fundamentally canonically, no one should really have proof of what's happening. Absolutely. Especially where we are in this stage of like yeah. the cycles. We're only like seven cycles in. Like there there needs to be something. There needs to be some what's obfuscation as to what's going mm-hmm. on. Like there I, I love the themes that we've been playing with throughout the series, which is interpretation mm-hmm. in, in many ways. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I actually the I think the bowls of wrath are different. I was looking at the graphics though and there's also graphics for the trumpets which are quite nice <laughs> oh wow that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff <laughs> one third of the sea becomes blood one third of ships at sea life are destroyed that's nice that's the second step yeah. <laughs> just number two this is this is why revelation is my favorite biblical book <laughs> well yeah it's basically like revelations is basically stops becoming a fairly dry historical text and starts becoming mm-hmm. like fan fiction. Basically. Like, Yo, yeah. you'd be fucking sweet. Like this is what's <laughs> going to happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, those are really helpful graphics though. They are. Yeah. If only uh, those maybe... were in the Bible. What's that? If only those were in the Bible. Infographics on each Bible page. <laughs> like, this is what happens now. Exactly. That would have yeah. been Maybe it's really like helpful. shitty clip art. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, so I think that we've, I think that we've done a fairly good job at interpreting the twist here, uh, which means that we can roll right into our revelations uh, at the end of last episode. Rather than doing our traditional world building anchor, I suggested that we each come to the table with a revelation, something massively world changing that happened as they passed through uh, a gate. And we will have to create a timeline where all three of these different revelations are true. Um, I had Daniel go first last time. So, Courtney, why don't you tell us what your revelation is? All right. Uh, I took inspiration directly from the book of Revelation, not surprisingly. Uh, One of my favorite parts of the book is the opening of the sixth seal. It's very visually evocative, and I think it really fits in well with the 14 sons thing we have going on. Uh, So it is, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of the heavens fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide from hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? 
it's, it's pretty dark. Damn. <laughs> um, so- I can see, I can definitely <laughs> see why you like that passage. Yeah. 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 Uh, so my interpretation is that during one of the passages of the earth into a new system, um, the sun that they end up orbiting is actually a black hole. And even Ooh. though the planet has some kind of that magical protection that we talked about, this is still very much not good for the earth. It gets like pelted by meteors. It undergoes these massive changes to its landscape where, where the continents shift. There's no sunlight. So tons of life dies out. Uh, people have to flee into massive bunkers, uh, which is where, of course, they eventually evolve into dwarves. And from now on, this is a dwarven setting. setting. Mm-hmm. No, nice. kidding. Yep, kidding. <laughs> no, no. Everything else happens apart from the dwarves. I knew it was going the there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to kind of include that because it's like mm-hmm. just a very disturbing visual. And um, I want to say that this wasn't one of like the very first cycles because I want humanity to have had some time to prepare like they realized that things from revelation are happening mm-hmm. so they had time to build these underground bunkers time to stockpile food and resources and so on fascinating yeah that's mm-hmm. that's really cool uh so this is so how do how do fans of sound garden approach this black hole sun exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> hey that's a great song i, yeah, I don't care what you say that's, that's a great it song is. yeah <laughs> And not only that, but the uh, the the video is also is mm-hmm. quite something as well. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's very clearly apocalyptic. But I think mm-hmm. there's a lot to be interpreted there. Mm-hmm. Your but so but what you're primarily focused on is this inability to live on the crust of the earth. You have to dig a little bit deeper, right? Potential inability. I think it's probably easier to survive within the earth, but Mm -hmm. even like the way that the verse focuses on like the kings, the great men, um, and like free men are kind of listed last. So I wonder if it's a lot of the the wealthier, more powerful individuals who are able to hide in the earth while a large chunk of humanity is left on the outside to fend Mm -hmm. for themselves. Mm. Interesting. Daniel, what do you think? What, what do you, how are you thinking about this black hole sun situation? I'm always a huge fan of black hole settings or black holes in general. They're my favorite um, celestial object because <laughs> they're uh, places where the rules of science break down. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's appropriate given what we're talking about, you know, with eschatologies. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%, mm-hmm. Daniel. Uh, I think I've told my black hole story of Googling black holes in the 90s or in like the early 2000s. Well, no, it was the late 90s when I was like a still small child, but I'll, I'll not tell that story again. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm also with you. I think that black holes are just a really cool, like, a, you know, astronomical phenomenon, you know, mm-hmm. um, and doubly so when we're talking about eschatologies, for sure. It's really cool. Yeah. I guess this also gives us an opportunity, speaking of like, messing with reality and and the rules of things like gives us an opportunity to um mess with time if we yeah. want to switch up how time is being dealt with this in this particular system oh, man i mean it makes sense because if, <laughs> if the earth is now in the proximity of a black hole it, ex- it would experience effects of time dilation so mm-hmm. we'd have larger gulfs of time to pass through from the perspective of people outside the area you know yeah that's very true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The easiest example is visualizes interstellar when they had a chance of potentially being trapped near that planet that has the high waves for a oh, really yeah, long yeah. time if they didn't time things properly. Yeah, this little man- everyone's seen that this little maneuver is going to cost us 50 years exactly. gift slash meme. Of course, I-, I suppose what I'm interested in is like, can we name some major events or points that happen during this age of this black hole sun revelation? Mm-hmm. I think, I think that'd be fun because linking all of the histories together is, is supposed to be kind of the fun little exercise that we do once we're done with all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the ways to look at this too is there's, especially in science fiction, there's different forms of not to say this is science fiction but in science fiction there's different ways of telling stories than you'd see in in a lot of um literary fiction nowadays or speculative fiction that's contemporary Mm -hmm. in that um 
if we're thinking of like Isaac Asimov, he likes to tell some stories on the grand scale. Like it's not about individual characters or um, the progression of one character's journey, but more about um, large scale events. Right. Um, And so I wonder too, in Mm -hmm. this kind of setting, are we describing the sort of big movements that happen to civilization? You know, what are the outcomes? I'm thinking of um, like foundation, for example, and where that follows, you know, it does have a character behind it that's that's kind of narrating these things that happen, like Harry Selden. But it's really about what's happening to humanity over these gaps. Mm. And so I wonder, mm-hmm. too, like, is that one way to talk about what's happening here? Like during the black hole period where you have people living under the earth and there's a specter of the apocalypse. Um, and my voice probably sounds very strange because I'm, I was sick. Um, I wonder, <laughs> you know, like, what is this like the Morkborg period, right? Is that oh, what yeah. it's like on Earth now? Is it the metal era? You know, like, what yeah. is that how we talk about it? I don't know. But we could also talk about, like, individual characters that emerge. Maybe that's a way to talk about the, the region. I just mean to say, like, you could talk about it totally from the perspective of, like, errors, uh, errors of history, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I do deeply appreciate referring to it as the Morkborg period of history. Though. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do like the idea of approaching it as like a, a view of overall humanity as opposed to individual stories. Agreed. And um, based on like the potential for different classes to be the ones who are in these protected bunkers in the earth and the rest of humanity to be outside, it could be like a, a new kind of stratification of humanity like um sort of nations are no longer a thing Mm. necessarily or they're they're vastly different from what they were previously and um there's sort of like a a like surface dweller versus the protected um mentality and then Mm. i'm sure within those there are different groups as well that form to better protect themselves there is an old cartoon show i say old but it's like really from 2006 which is now old i guess i don't know anyway there's a there's mm-hmm. a there's an old cartoon show that only had one episode and i always remember its opening crawl because it has this great voiceover and one of the things one of the lines that always sticks out to me is um civilization's grip on humanity has grown arthritic and weak. And I feel Mm. like that's exactly what we're describing here, where civilization is really like waning in like a really Mm. dark and deep way here. It's, it's almost as if it's like, this is the post-apocalypse that all the P all the doomsday preppers are really hoping for Uh not the apocalypse that will happen, but the one that they want where it is fairly Mm -hmm. savage and not Courtney, by the way, Courtney wants one that's a little (laughs) bit cooler, but you know, like that, that's the general concept that we're kind of rolling with here. That's like a, a pretty brutal, uh, intro crawl for a cartoon. What was it? It, Well, it was, um, Oh oh God. Uh, it was, Something the Barbarian, uh, hmm. where and and it it's like basically let's take Conan the Barbarian and make it like even more ridiculous. Okay. Um, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it was we watched it together. I remember that huh. uh, wait like a very long time ago. But yeah. I I always remember it being disappointed there was only one episode because it, it it's so over the top and ridiculous and bloody. It was great. I think it's like mm. Grognar the Barbarian or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so so I, I think that we've we the way that we're approaching these ages is kind of fascinating, and I'm really curious to see what Daniel's follow up to this age of Morkborg is that we're kind of <laughs> dealing with here. And what's what's interesting about um, the thinking about the ages too as I, as I it makes you wonder from people who are trying to interpret what's happening like how do they see an age of morkborg living through that if it's for, you know, the traditional religious take might or a traditional religious take might be oh this is a test for our survival and for our mm-hmm. being better afterwards you know that's one way to view it you know the dying earth perspective which is far more cynical might say like you know this is um the withering away of humanity into nothing you know into its primal instincts or whatever so you'd have all these mm-hmm. different kind of angles from you know, whoever's trying to survive this, if there is such a group or perspective that's persisting from generation to generation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
But to answer your question, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I um, have a far darker one. So it's similar to How? yours too. Yeah, <laughs> but it's very similar to yours. Um, so I was I among the celestial objects I'm really fascinated by, besides um, black holes, are all the permutations of that. So one of them is a not quite black hole, so a neutron star. And just like a black mm-hmm. hole, this is a star's core that has has undergone a supernova and it's what remains, but it wasn't significantly massive enough to collapse into a black hole. Um, so in particular, pulsars are what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So pulsars are spinning neutron stars and they spin really, really fast. And you think, you think about like a humongous star, much bigger than or much more massive than our own, that's been collapsed into the size of like a city. And so, and it's, it's rotating really fast. So I'm, I'm imagining passing into a system where we're in the orbit of, of this pulsar. Um, and well, because pulsars are spinning, they are emitting these x-rays that, and other energetic particles that just like burn away atmospheres. So, mm-hmm. and it would take about a thousand years or so to burn away our atmosphere completely. So I'm thinking, um, you know, the angels arrive they're in the presence of this spinning star, which must look totally rad from the earth if you're in the orbit of it. <laughs> um, and over the course of a thousand years, it burns away the atmosphere of the oceans, destroys all life on earth. Um, but mm. the people undergoing this period of, of being in the presence of the star, that's destroying the earth, um, want to find a way to persist. And, and, and because we've introduced these angels and I, I had the idea of persisting, by converting ourselves to some kind of digital life, I'm thinking instead they seize one of the angels and they use it as a way to persist on the earth inside of it. And so Mm. as all life over this thousand years is completely annihilated, um, we invest our efforts into putting our, our, our essence our, our DNA, our record into this angel that's been chained to the earth um, and so what happens is we have thousands and thousands of generations as the earth orbits this pulsar, um, where we are able to evolve within this angel as a different kind of life. And perhaps the next, um, you know, gate, the next passing is the emergence of this form of life into mm-hmm. physicality from this angel. So mm. you'd have this really crazy setting where maybe, you know, I'm thinking uh, kind of the styling of, of Melancholia or Tree of Life, where you have these kind of impressionistic existence within this angel as the earth itself is completely stripped of all life and all wow. that persists of these memories of the angel that's bound to the earth. That's brutal. That's incredibly dark, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm I'm glad that I went lighter with mine this time. Uh, so, all right, let, let's talk about home, this Rob. age, though. No, no, no. Let I, we need to talk about your age. Also, I, I I looked it up while trying not to be depressed by Daniel's uh, revelation here. It's Korgoth of Barbaria. Only one episode oh. was ever uh, released, and it, it you can find it on YouTube real easy. I'm sure. Um, it's a fun little fantasy romp. I don't know how well it's aged, but you know, that's, that's always a crapshoot on that type of stuff. With that being said, let's talk about Morkborg two, even darker, I guess. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's, let's start there. I mean, <laughs> with Courtney, it was more about mm-hmm. experiencing a degeneration of some kind, like mm-hmm. a decay of humanity into something much darker and more violent Daniel, in yours, this is almost a scour, an acid scouring of humanity from the planet itself. Is that perhaps more accurate than what we're considering here? Yeah, like uh, there is no survival for organic life on the Earth. Like, right, totally strip the Earth of life. And Damn. and humanity in the meantime is up in this angel, like just trying to survive as best they can. Yeah, and by by survive, I mean, like, they over the period of the Earth's atmosphere and, and oceans being stripped away by this pulsar, like, they know they cannot physically survive this. Like, there's no, they can't put mm-hmm. themselves in the angel physically. They're going to be uh. utterly destroyed. So they have to convert humanity itself into some other form of life that can persist in this angel and evolve in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. It, ooh, that almost sounds like they're preparing. I mean, we were talking about like the interpretation, but that almost sounds like they're preparing to be put into the eighth angel that we were kind of hinting mm-hmm. at. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah. Uh, if that's ooh, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> I, I want y'all to talk about this a little bit more. I am desperate to like dig into my revelation, but I want to I want y'all to have some some time to play around and talk about that stuff first. So, Courtney, you mm. were just outdarked by Daniel here. Uh, what what I, is your yeah, rebuttal? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> what gives, man? I was building um, upon your your classic and very well appreciated <laughs> darkness that without which we could not have the next step. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I do actually like the idea of this occurring right after the black hole revelation, um, which also I know you said that like the atmosphere is being wiped away, the oceans are burning up and so on. But like if they did have those um, underground areas, would there be potentially pockets of humanity that still could survive as humans? My answer is no, because <laughs> no amount, because of the proximity to the pulsar, no amount of okay. of surface uh, area could protect you from the cosmic radiation. Okay. Okay. I want total, all life, totally yeah. stripped from the earth. <laughs> and unless they, unless they imbue themselves in some other form, in some digital form in this angel, which mm-hmm. has been designed to persist through the gates, they are gone. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. How and and how were you thinking of them being able to pass on, Daniel? Well, I I didn't want to have like a scientific answer to that, right? Because I I want to respect mm. the premise of this kind of having its divine magical sense. But I was thinking back to movies, like I said, of Tree of Life, especially Tree of Life, which the way that movie is told is impressionistic. That there isn't really dialogue and it's imagery. And it shows you generations and it even shows you dinosaurs. It's crazy. It's a really amazing movie. I'm thinking like mm-hmm. whatever we've converted ourselves into, this spark of persistence in this angel, like contains the record of humanity, like the memories of humanity. And it kind of is a soup that for the time being is empty and lifeless. It has these memories, but over time, however long it takes to get to the next cycle, it eventually becomes complex enough to be its own form of life and then can emerge again. Mm-hmm. So are we, have we like essentially duplicated that angel and we're using that as like our humanity backup hard drive? Yeah. Or like a, like a, like an arc almost like we've put ourselves mm-hmm. into it as an arc since we, we can't manage to capture it and bring it down, bring it off that moon. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're harboring ourselves in it just to go past the next, you know, revelation. Fascinating. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. And once again, we uh, once again we have inadvertently created a beautiful arc between the three of us, because my revelation, I was thinking that I kind of wanted to step away from it being a purely Christian kind of mythology that we're dealing with here. So I, I Google search eschatology, which is like end time stuff and folklore. Scrolled through the Wikipedia article and I found Zoroastrianism. Uh, which I find to be rather interesting. And here I'm going to give a little, uh, just, just a quote from the Wikipedia article uh, that, I, that, is, that has inspired me here. A battle between the righteous and the wicked will be followed by the Frasha Koretti, excuse my pronunciations. On earth, the South Cheyenne will arrive as the final savior of mankind and bring about the resurrection of the dead. The Yazadas, the Aryaman, and the Atar will melt the metal in the hills and mountains, which will flow as lava across the earth, and all mankind, both living and resurrected, will be required to wade through it. Ashavan will pass through the molten river as if it were warm milk, warm milk, but the sinfil will burn. It will then flow down to hell where it will annihilate Angramanyu and the last vestiges of wickedness. Um, so that's, that's badass. It's quite badass. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Uh, and, and as a result, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, what do, like, that's really cool. I love that concept. And so I decided that 
during my revelation, a seemingly random number of people who have died in previous ages revelations will be resurrected and no one can die a nonviolent death during this age. Uh, so that's my revelation. We went from decay to utter annihilation to rebirth and it was completely unintentional. Random. That sounds like the kingdom of God. Like you've created the yeah. final step. Yeah, right. But we're, it's not even the final step. That's the crazy mm-hmm. thing. We're like halfway through. Right, right. But yeah, I like that it's kind of like, if it's like a, it's a, it's a next step in our evolution in a way. It almost mm-hmm. makes sense if, it, if they transition from having no physicality. Like that was, they had to sacrifice their physicality to persist. And then the next generation is you can't, die from violent means right that almost is like a gift for having done that right yeah i mean it it does talk to talk about like um it it does speak a lot to traditional uh spiritual like death Mm -hmm. and reincarnation stuff like that it doesn't necessarily have to just deal with like christian mythology in this way right right yeah though to tie it back there is resurrection in the book of revelation where uh at some point I think like everybody who's ever died in the ocean gets brought back and like everybody's in hell or the land of the dead or something gets brought back and is like rejudged. So this kind of does fit in with that. You can't see me because we're an audio only podcast, but I am doing the jerk off motion. So well, I'm just saying I, I did true. my bachelor's capstone on the book of revolution. I I'm giving you shit because I can. Courtney, okay? I mean, it's a cool yeah. thing you mentioned. Cause it may, it makes me think one of the things I remember reading um, and I'm really rusty on it, but I remember that there's a view of Christianity as being not like idealism in the sense of purely souls and, and, and the physical world as being separate things, but substance dualists, that there's a, there's a mixture of the spiritual and the physical fundamentally, like in the Christian ideology mm-hmm. and like the resurrection and the physical resurrection, literal, the literalness of it is like an expression of it, especially in revelation, which I think is neat because that makes us think that, you know, there's not these two separate realms There's something kind of material about everything, even in the Christian like texts. That's interesting. That's really, you don't, you say you don't remember where you heard that from? I want to say it's probably in like, in one of my philosophy classes that we had when we were like an undergrad. And I was, I was struck by when the professor was talking about that, that the, it's, it's not like uh, the the sense of the spiritual isn't like it's thought of in, say, like Aristotle, uh, a place of forms and ideas, but that in the, the spiritual form of Christian theology has a fundamental physicality to it because of the resurrection. That's, that's so interesting. I've, I've not heard anything like that before. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, what do we want to get out of this age? I suppose is the next question. Like we've kind of answered that question for each of them thus far. Is, is this, like a genuinely kinder is it a more respectful or kinder version of humanity that comes from this scouring or is it something else entirely is it an age of excess and sloth i mean this is this is a land where death doesn't really exist except for those who want to take life so what does this age look like after the darkness (laughs) what are you interested in it looking like it is your age after all just because it's mine doesn't mean that it's actually mine. You know, this is just my idea. And of course I'm always willing to like seed to a better, uh, better or more interesting idea. I I, I think that we can really go one of many ways. I mean, I, again, I had childhood's end in mind last episode and I feel like this time is no different where there is some level of ascension, but again, I don't necessarily believe that this is, purely a kindness that we're experiencing here so you'd like something with a twist like it has um there is a transformation perhaps it is positive from certain perspectives but there's some other angle to it to be interpreted i mean going to in your pulsar age daniel how people sort of hid in an angel form to survive or like put their psyches or souls or however you want to interpret it um 
maybe during that process and thus in this age, like there's a a greater empathy for each other because of all being sort of crammed together in that um, psychic space, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like the idea that these are linked, like the consequences mm-hmm. of one um, yeah, yeah. era affects the other and perhaps it informs Absolutely. his yeah. new generation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it, it it almost is like yours was a, is, a, is a precursor to the to the final test, right? And even though this is only a few steps mm-hmm. in, like it seems like there's an intentionality that we're building inadvertently um, when we design these errors. Like there's an intentionality to the, to the angels and to the things that are behind this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I do want to emphasize as well is that I, I chose that it wouldn't just like the, the the people who are resurrected just don't come back from the previous era, but seemingly at random from other eras as well. Uh, in a way, I almost see this as a, I mean, it's deliberate in some way, or perhaps there is interpretation for it to be deliberate and an understanding or, or, or there is a seeking of understanding as to why particular people were chosen, quote unquote, chosen to be returned to the world. I wonder too, thinking about our twist with robots, like um, if their forms are very different than human beings, like I'm, mm-hmm. cause you picture like for this, given the source you chose, I wonder if it's like some really fantastical version of bodies, you know, that have a very different, um, not machine like, but a very different, more sturdy form. That's, that's a, a fantastical take on the human body. Yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned that because when he was describing, um, what was it, the the metal melts and flows down and that's, it's like people have to wade through that. Maybe mm-hmm. that is part of the new form, like that is hinting at like a new robotic mechanical form that they take on yeah. where their, their forms are metallic in some way. Or like an alien kind of like uh, metal or, or flesh that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. superior to what came before. Why mm-hmm. do I feel like this? This just reminds me of when we did our, uh, our episode on the sun that was really close and like the people were trapped within the robot bodies. Oh yeah. Oh, I feel like this <laughs> is less like, evil. yeah, no, I'm like, Oh God, are we going that dark with it again? Like I'd prefer not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting some kind of like because it, it almost gives me like a, a, a Middle Eastern non judo 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 Christian yeah like imagery I'm thinking like I'm picturing something very colorful and very like you know lots of angles and shapes rather than your typical Catholic um, you know theology of be white cast things. into the fire. Right, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So picture something very colorful and and like Hinduistic. I don't know what it's imagery. Yeah. Le- less less Hieronymus Bosch is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they are machine like, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, looking at like Islamic art, there's a lot of um, geometric shapes in it, and really interesting like tiles and line work that comes out of it. So maybe that plays a role in how these are formed. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm I'm just giggling because I'm thinking like we went from Bosch to Goya's dark paintings and now we're going in the office. <laughs> we're going to like Thomas Kincaid almost. <laughs> uh, that is interesting though, that may, maybe there is some kind of price to be paid with this newfound immortality where, or maybe there is a demonstrable change that happens with this newfound immortality. Maybe there's a, there's a purpose to the immortality. Like Daniel was saying, where we're no longer like carbon based life forms at a certain point, you know, like we, we really do become imbued with the metals of the earth in some way. And it's not like we're androids where we're part machine, but it's perhaps something on a more ascendant scale than that, where we literally become infused in a way that is not mechanical, but just simply is different, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, I think it was a Ray Bradbury short story. I forget which book it appeared in. Um, but it was, I think it's Ray Bradbury. Um, it's about like a, a group of humans that travel to 
I want to say Mars or the moon or somewhere and they encounter alien life forms that are literally just like balls of light um, which really confuses them initially but they kind of come to realize that it's like this ascended being that no longer needs like a, a physical body really it's just like so so far evolved from humanity mm. I like that I like that concept where maybe that maybe what we're seeing is you know we're we're completely meat form here and they're completely energy based mm-hmm. maybe we can go like somewhere in between where the the people of this age are somewhat in a flux of or or perhaps it's a more fluid state so like ferrous or liquid metal or something like, like that is incorporated mm-hmm. oh, into cool. our forms mm-hmm. in some way that is cool yeah. Because that would, from a functional point of view, if there's a rationality to this, that would make sense that if, if this were tests to make us better, you know, a liquid form, liquid metal sentient form would survive living in the presence of a pulsar, right? Mm-hmm. And it would and it would survive the sheer um, gravitational forces of living under a black hole. Like, those are the sort of things that would let us be, um, you know, uh, persisted, you know, in different universe, different states of the universe. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a wild ride so far. Like it's, it's so interesting to see like three completely different perspectives on these revel, mm. these like revelations and stuff like that. I really do love this. And with that being in mind, we got to go to our factions. I think this is so interesting now. Uh, Daniel, why don't you kick us off with your faction today? I didn't think we were going to have factions, but I did have one that I had been thinking about <laughs> prior to us choosing to do uh, ages. Like I thought we were just doing mm-hmm. ages, but I did have one anyway. Um, I was I was thinking of your typical um, what's his what's the name of this writer? Um, he writes enormous books, um, and uh, the Diamond Age I think is one and. Neil Stevenson. Um, oh, okay. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a a group, and this is what I'm hinting at and throughout, but a group that, through some means, I don't know how, because at one point humanity is literally destroyed, but but it has passed <laughs> down knowledge from transformation to transformation um, about the events, and they're kind of like a hermetic order, whether they're like. Uh, monks or scholars or recluses or apocalypse preppers, whatever they are, like they are conspiracy theorists. Like they, they have preserved some interpretive knowledge from, from passing to passing. And they've been trying to piece together the meaning of all of this. Um, and they may or may not be aligned with it. And maybe they don't like what's happening. Maybe they view the angels as enemies. Perhaps they were involved in helping to seize one of the angels and, didn't realize they were playing into the hands of the angels in the end, mm. but they, they are a group of, of people who are students of the apocalypse and they're trying to um, understand it. I don't know if they want to prevent it or, um, but they have collected the apocryphal texts and they're recording them into a, a real Bible of sorts. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. In some ways it kind of fits in with the faction I had in mind. Well, why don't we, why don't we start? Yeah. Why don't we roll into yours and then we can kind of, uh, you know, chat about both. All right. It's not an exact fit. And I'm also not hundred percent sure how it's going to work given that humanity and everything just completely gets wiped out at some point. But um, <laughs> I was taking inspiration from the Malleus Maleficarum, which is basically a guide for seeking out and purging witches mm-hmm. from the late 1400s. Hammer of witches. Yep. I have, yep. I have a copy it's, myself. Yep. Yep. Yeah, uh, great, co- so I was thinking, great coffee table book, by the way. Yeah, it, yeah, classic. Um, in this in this version of our world, I was thinking like an extremist religious faction is formed that's bent on purging sin and demon worship in an attempt to like both improve the state of things and prove to God that they're worthy of heaven, worthy of being saved. Um, and I had in mind previously that they could like be extremely untrusting of technology and in particular robots um because they view those like angel robots as false mockeries created by demons so maybe like daniel you were kind of saying with your faction maybe they were involved with actually taking one like down 
at some point. Yeah. And that's mm. what led to that sort of rebirth age. I like that. And it ties back to what Rob was saying in the beginning of this false prophet, mm-hmm. you know, uh, inspired by demons. Like they're almost like trying to do the yeah. opposite, but they're playing into its hands in the end. Right. You know? Exactly. That would be neat. Yeah. Like they, they think that all of this is like a trick that it's all mm-hmm. like demons did it and kind of tricks humanity into doing this. And the angels are actually like false things that need to be purged and yeah. they just end up going straight into it. And I could see there being like variations of them over time. Like this one might be very um, fanatical and it led to those steps, but then those who in the next phase pick up the teachings and the writings of them might have a different perspective, Mm -hmm. but they're carrying along the mystery of it, trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I, what I continue to think of here, right. Is that when we consider going back to like the devils that we had, like they're always considered evil by everyone. Right. And in this case, I can't help again. My brain is just stuck on Arthur C. Clarke. I can't help it. I'm just thinking like they're, they're demonstrably not evil. They're literally the stewards of these ages, right? Like we were looking at them Mm -hmm. as though they're evil, but they're like, look, we're sorry that we have to do this, but this is what's happening to you. And we, we can't really describe it elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah they have a, a plan oh it's like a divine plan and it's it's i think it has the distance in terms of kind of the human empathy we would have for something we're doing to someone to help them like it has mm-hmm. so much distance that it feels alien which i think is the trick we were trying to accomplish in the beginning right you know mm-hmm. and i think what what's interesting about what we're exploring here is we are deliberately prescribing meaning because we need to as storytellers However, the people who are living throughout these ages, I have to imagine that there is a great amount of uncertainty, doubt, and just outright, like, there's no way this has a purpose to this. And and frankly, where we are in the story as, like, storytellers, there isn't necessarily a purpose. We, we keep hinting at this design to what's going on, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily what's happening. And I do find that to be really fascinating mm-hmm. as a concept in general, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, like this is our take on it, right? But for, right. we've only seen three passings, so for all we know, mm-hmm. we could be melted into a cube and then consumed by one of the agents. <laughs> yeah, the end. yeah. Like, we or just a tasty snack. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there's so many different directions that you can take, but it, it, I just think that the the way that the three of us have kind of created these three different ages just so happened to work out in this really interesting, like deliberate arc uh, that I am just like, I'm so curious as if, if this happened another way and one of us just went pure wild card with it, like what <laughs> this whole episode would change completely just by one tenant being different. And I love mm-hmm. that. I love seeing how this has been like kind of manufactured, you know? Well, and I, I think what's what's interesting is this speaks to world building in a way, because I think even though we're doing fantasy work, right, where it's totally imaginative, there aren't really rules that, that are imposed from the outside, even that being the case, like there is, and this goes back to kind of what um, our friend, our friend of the podcast, um, C.R. Rowitzen has said with respect to magic, that there is a kind of logic and reasoning in world building. Mm-hmm. And three people who have totally different ideas given the same premise and the same boundaries might find logical conclusions that are the same because there is a sort of logic in world building. Um, And that's because one of the things you do in world building is you have a certain suspension of disbelief. And unless you're deliberately going out off into the deep end, which you can do, you know, to rock expectations, we're going to arrive at similar conclusions, certain conclusions given a premise Mm. Because it makes sense for that to be the case, right? Unless yeah. we're trying to work against those those conclusions. This just makes me fascinated to go back to another premise or prompt that we've done before and then do that again. You know, like with yeah. with no other ideas, like see how mm-hmm. different that would actually end up compared to what we came up with the first time. And in certain cases, like it's kind of impossible to look at that and know that the other one is there already. You know, it's like, it's it's hard to to be to have that be completely organic 
But I, I'm just fascinated mm -hmm. to see like what would happen if we could remove that and redo a prompt all over again. Like in a, yeah. if we could reach across into a parallel universe and see what our this setting looks like from a different lens, you know. Oh, I guess like, I still got a faction, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> you do, actually. Damn. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, so my faction, I guess we'll go now. Um, my faction, I, I was thinking about what Daniel was saying about the priestesses of Dune, uh, Frank Herbert's Dune last last episode. And I really thought that your faction was going to be more in line with that, Daniel. Uh, but what I'm interested in talking about are a sect of people who are not necessarily religious, but they believe deeply in preserving things. They're preservationists. Uh, they are people who believe in preserving the histories through the revelations for their own needs. Um, I, I had this in mind, not necessarily for any uh, greater good. In my mind, I have this as they're they're almost like it's almost like they're creating a museum of sorts that they can showcase to the rest of the universe. Just because these fleeting moments in time are exactly that they're fleeting. You cannot recreate them. So to preserve them is this particular faction's goal. It's funny. Like, Cause I feel like each of all three of ours are variations of this yeah. similar cult, right? Like yeah. they're, they're almost like mm -hmm. different flavors that have occurred. I would almost argue like perhaps each of these is the, is the same cult, but they've appeared mm -hmm. in different ages. Right. Or they're just different religious yeah. sects. Yeah, of the, exactly. same, of the right, same branch, right. you know. I could see that. Like yeah. Courtney's is the extremist ones. Might be mine. Mm -hmm. Might be more of the like esoteric, um, you know, recluses, apocalypse preppers. Yours seem like the curators and the archivists, mm -hmm. almost. Well, you know me. I have a I have a love of history. So. <laughs> right, they're the historians, <laughs> rather. They're probably the most reasonable ones, I'd say. <laughs> probably, probably. See, I yeah. wanted to make them slightly unreasonable. You oh, know? okay. Like, I wanted to make them a little <laughs> wacky in that way, but I think compared mm -hmm. to the rest of you, maybe yeah, that's yeah, what we're doing here. <laughs> they're more approachable. <laughs> yeah, maybe in, in some cases, even I might consider it that like. Maybe in a couple thousand years, they'll look like the reasonable ones, but, you know, in their own time, they're also doing stuff like I, I look at it as something akin to we're trying to freeze as much of the world in carbonite as possible, mm. you know, just to preserve things as they are exactly so we can learn and, and study them in the future. Oh, interesting. I was also interpreting it as like maybe they're just like hyper neutral to the point where they just won't intervene with things and mm. Um, that can often lead to them just letting horrendous events happen for the sake of being able to record it for history. I, I don't necessarily see that. I actually see mm -hmm. them as like, oh, or, or maybe even they take, they, they see that a horrible event is going to happen. They take advantage of it by snatching that, that parcel of land and just coding it and being like, look, you can either choose to come with us or die. It's entirely up to you. What do you prefer? Would you rather be preserved in this like kind of chrono bubble type situation? Or would you rather like die? In and actually now that I said, I wasn't even considering chrono bubble until I just said it. But <laughs> now that I have, I think that's what I'm going with that. They're trapping people in moments of time in like loops essentially. So imagine that you're reliving your best day every day. It's like Groundhog Day. But oh, actually, that's exactly what it is. They're trapping moments. They're trapping days or, or, or months at a time in some cases. That's kind of disturbing. <laughs> yeah, well, I told you I didn't want, yeah. they, they didn't necessarily no, want to be the best people, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I wonder how that plays into other, like how they deal with the eras that occur or the revelations that occur. Mm. like what happens with everything when that pulsar era occurs you know i mean i i like to imagine that it does persist but i think it persists at the uh at the expense of the people who are trapped within those chrono bubbles like they really can't they really can't escape they cannot leave you know yeah i imagine that their knowledge could still persist being that it's converted to another form, you know, mm -hmm. the soup of all the other memories. 
what do you what do you mean by that so like um they we're asking like how did they persist like that sort of apocalypse how do they preserve what they've what they've been archiving mm-hmm. beyond that that particular apocalypse well i think like a lot of that information is in their heads too right so mm-hmm. perhaps it's a matter of like making sure that they when they undergo this process to because they, they would be aligned with humanity trying to survive it right yeah that they contribute that to the pool of all knowledge mm-hmm. that gets put mm-hmm. into the angel. Maybe it's their coming out of hiding in a sense in that way. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think with all that, okay. We normally, at the end of these episodes, the second episode, we normally do like a main quest line. I don't think that's necessarily possible here with what we're yeah, doing. Agreed. <laughs> I think that instead of a quest line, we've kind of created a narrative that's persistent throughout the three ages. And we really don't even need to reconcile it because we've been creating it throughout the entire time. I, I don't know what other way that we can kind of like finish the episode guys. I think we just kind of nailed it. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know how we would continue. I mean, yeah, we could, did, we, yeah. uh, if you wanted to take a traditional like quest, right? You could put one on each age. You know, if you wanted to. So, like when I was talking about Isaac Asimov, right? He he usually gives you a glimpse into this the time period he's talking about by giving you a couple of characters, but they're very flat and they're very simple, right? Just to give you a sense of how it functions at that moment. I could see you picking each of the ages and like taking a moment in time to show you what that looks like. So in Courtney's, it could be like, you know, a mother and child um, shambling through the destroyed landscape to recover some food, you know, that they have to then bring back to their rich underground overlord and hand it over because mm. it's such a terrible time mm. period to live in. And then they starve to death. I don't know, something more Korgish. <laughs> you know, like I could up Courtney's alley. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I could see um, in the post apocalypse one, um, you know, bringing the angel down to the earth in some high sci-fi sort of sort of way, because maybe this is like a very advanced civilization that's facing this trauma, you know, mm. and there's like some kind of like sci-fi version of chaining an angel to the earth. I don't know. And then mm. <laughs> your last one, for some reason, the images I get is like these Titanic people, multicolored chrome bodies, like descending through the clouds to their promised land or something mm-hmm. crazy you know you can get images like that as your quest lines but they're really quests they're kind of images exactly and, yeah, and i think that's yeah. what makes this so difficult right mm-hmm. uh because i i agree with you i think that if we were writing this as a story the best way to do it is kind of what you suggested which is focusing on characters and the conflict of the age so you get a really good idea of what that age is like for everyday people yeah. And then mm-hmm. through telling each of these stories and through exploring each of these conflicts, you get a greater narrative that's kind of created throughout each age, right? I, 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 totally. I, I don't know. I, I think that we, we just kind of call it, man. I think that's a great place. I think it's a really cool setting. And I would encourage y'all, like, tell us what your revelations would be. Like, what would you want to see as a potential revelation? And and how would it jackknife this kind of arc that we have in a different direction? I'd love to hear from the listeners on this one. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's kind of a cool way to build a setting where we sort of have like the beginning with the Catholic Church <laughs> causing all of this to happen. Uh-huh. And then we have like this middle part where shit's mm-hmm. like really fucked up and we leave it to other people to kind of create what they want to fill in and how they want it to end, even if they want it to end in a certain way. Absolutely. I I think that we've basically created ages five, six, and seven. So we need to fill in the gaps. Like what's the first, second, third, and fourth revelation look like? Mm -hmm. And then if you want to go even further into the future, what are the revelations past the seventh look like? That's what I'd love to see here. And I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, 100%. Super curious what, uh, what our listeners come up with for these. Yeah. Not Daniel, though. Daniel's like, fuck our list. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know all you people are just going to add furries, so just get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right. Uh, 
So with with this setting out of the way, I want to thank Iris again for the prompt. A big, big thank you. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Follow the link and instructions, and in no time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, you can go over to Twitter and find us at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord and chat about your revelation, you can find a link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, and or if you just want those sweet, sweet patron-only episodes, find a link in the description and give us money over on Patreon. That'll do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together. Until next week. Mm-hmm.